There is an ancient Roman myth that credited a god, eventually identified as Hermes, with saving a city in a time of a plague by carrying a ram on his shoulders as he walked around the city walls. That image was taken up by ancient Christians and deployed on the walls of the catacombs in Rome to depict Jesus, the good shepherd, carrying a lamb instead of a ram on his shoulders. The image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd became the most common symbolic representation of Christ found in the early Christian art in the catacombs. Jesus spoke of himself as the Good Shepherd. Of course he did. Jesus was Jewish, and his Hebrew Bible had depicted God as the shepherd who guides his people like sheep through, quote, the valleys of the shadows of death into, quote, green pastures beside still waters, as the 23rd Psalm says. The prophet Ezekiel took up the image of the shepherd and applied it to the human leadership of Israel. Ezekiel imagined a future day in which a good shepherd leader or king would arrive, one who had the interests of the sheep at heart, unlike the shepherd kings of old who served only their own interests. So Jesus and his people were familiar with the shepherd image, but I wonder if we see it the way they did. We see it as peaceful, reassuring. Maybe the lamb on the shepherd's shoulder in those catacomb paintings is the one out of a hundred that got lost. The shepherd is bringing it back to the fold safely. We imagine a happy moment. We usually don't think about wolves. But Jesus and the people of his day had to think about wolves. That was one of the reasons a shepherd was required. If you want the sheep to survive, you need to have someone to start swinging his staff and yelling bloody murder when the wolf arrives. It was serious business. It was dangerous. If the wolf won, it would not be a good day for sheep or shepherd. It was an existential question as to whether or not a hired hand would be up to the task when the snarling started and the wolf crouched down into the pre-attack position. There's only one kind of shepherd that will do. One willing to put his life on the line. One not afraid to take on the wolf. If that is how Jesus imagined his role, what does that mean? It meant that he understood his role as both leader and guide for his people and as to-the-death protector. He was leader and guide because he knew how to take his people to the green pastures and still waters of spiritual union with God. He was to-the-death protector because he was willing to confront the powers of oppression head-on and take the fall if necessary. The fact that there was opposition to Jesus was always going to be potentially true and quickly became true. Why else do you begin your ministry as Jesus did, saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted for justice's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't expect opposition, why would you say to your followers, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The real Jesus never called his people to seek security at any cost. The real Jesus did not imagine that his people would find the fluffiest pillow to rest on while the boot of oppression was on the necks of their neighbors. Nor did the real Jesus permit violence to be their salvation. 
In the end, Jesus was a person who would rather die than kill. That is the kind of shepherd he was. Scholars of the historical Jesus are nearly unanimous that he gained a reputation as a profound teacher and healer. Whether or not you understand or accept the idea of faith healing today, in the ancient world, healing was sought after and accepted as possible. The Greek myths tell of the god Asclepius, son of Apollo, who had healing powers. Temples to Asclepius were scattered throughout ancient Greece. Hippocrates, the legendary father of medicine, the one for whom the Hippocratic Oath that medical professionals take, may have begun his career at one of those Asclepion. People who experienced healing at them offered sacrifices and paid for their treatment. So Jesus was a noted healer, but never set up shop in one location. He kept moving. He kept going to where the people were instead of making them come to him. Scholars suggest that this was completely radical. His family would have expected him to use his extraordinary gifts to produce income for them. But no, he kept moving. John's gospel captures this strategy when he gives Jesus the line, quote, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. The sheep of other folds most likely refers to people outside of the fold of Judaism, in other words, Gentiles. By John's time, many Gentiles had started listening to the voice of Jesus and following him as their shepherd. There were still wolves around. In fact, opposition to the early Christian movement that started as sporadic and local eventually became systemic and widespread. Many people died for their faith, receiving the benediction that Jesus had pronounced for those who are, quote, reviled and persecuted for standing up for what is right. So what can we take from this message? What wisdom can we find that applies to our times? First, everything we do as followers of Jesus, we do with the confidence that we are being shepherded by a God who loves us, cares for us, and has our best interests at heart. We do not fear God. We do not fear judgment. We do not believe in a karma-like, you-get-what-you-deserve world. We believe in mercy. We believe in grace. We believe that we are beloved by God, just as a good shepherd loves her sheep. That is the underlying confidence with which we approach life, and that is the confidence with which we will face death. Second, we expect opposition. We expect to be misunderstood. We expect to be disrespected by some. We do not believe that we are in a popularity contest. We do not believe that the essence of life consists in not making waves. Rather, we believe the command implicit in the Jesus-shaped life is thou shalt not stand idly by. Thou shalt not seek the personal purity of the priest and the Levite while the robber victim lies dying on the Jericho road even if it puts you at risk. That is why we are so involved. That is why we support the sack lunch program. That's why we make suppers for the Salvation Army. That's why we collect canned goods. That's why we are active in our community in so many ways, like the Citizens Climate Lobby, Police and Community Engagement, the Bail Project, and others. That is why we are as generous as we can be with our national offerings. Besides being loved by God, and expecting opposition. 
The third takeaway from this story is that like Jesus, the church must be missional rather than invitational. Jesus did not just invite people to a shrine in Nazareth. He went out to their villages. He went into their homes. He met them where they were and offered God's grace to them where they there. Every book and article I've read in the last decade that talks about the future of the church is unanimous. What used to work in the past is not working now and will not work in the future. The church that has existed for so long expecting people to come into our doors and do it our way is getting smaller every year. The future of the church, they all agree, is that instead of being invitational, we become missional. Instead of focusing our energy inside our walls, we move out. In John's Gospel, we read that that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, ends his ministry saying to his followers, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we get involved in taking up where the shepherd left off, following his lead, offering the healing power of inclusion, advocacy, allyship, and direct action. Before I went overseas, I was in missionary training, which took us to a church at the foot of the towers of the Cabrini Green Housing Complex in Chicago. The pastor said something I will never forget. He said when he gets volunteers to come and help with the many programs that they ran for the residents of Cabrini Green, he tells them, your job is not to come here as a friend. Poor people don't need more friends. Your job is to help shepherd these people through the systems of our society, the medical system, the criminal justice system, the housing system, the welfare system, and all the others. Your job is to shepherd them. That is a beautiful image. It can be taken too far as in being patronizing, but that's not what he meant. He meant that in the same way that Jesus offered shepherding love and healing, so we can be shepherds to the herding sheep of our context by offering compassion and the healing power of allies, using our white middle-class privilege for good. But to do this, We must, like Jesus, go out to where the people are. As one person said, the church has left the building. At least the authentic church has. So, we gather in the building that is as pretty and gracious as we can make it to be encouraged, strengthened, reminded, and motivated to go out of the building into mission. We gather around the table to break bread and pour out wine, remembering Jesus' life and teaching, to be renewed to leave the building as activist shepherds. We realize we may face opposition, misunderstanding, disrespect, or maybe worse, but that is a small price to pay for doing something significant with our short lives on this planet. We will not stand idly by. We will listen to the shepherd's voice and go out where he leads us, ready for the wolves.